Morning, church. I uh, hope everyone's ready for a great Sunday. Um, my name is Ali, and today we're going to be reading from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment, without mercy, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Today is Ultimate Sunday. What is Ultimate Sunday, you're asking? Well, our youth group is uh, doing uh, Frisbee, Ultimate Frisbee, uh, outside. So our student ministries uh, pastor, Pastor Matt, asked me to toss a couple of these out to you as a free gift. Now... I see the hands up already. It's great. So I got to tell you, I'm a little nervous about just winging these out because, I mean, <laughs> they're pretty heavy. Uh, I'm afraid I might break somebody's nose, so uh, protect yourself. All right? All right? All the way in the middle? Oh, man, that's a lot of heads I got to go over. That's a lot of heads I got to... I'm not very good at this. Uh, okay. Rochelle? Uh-huh. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right, and over at West Falls Church, uh, Pastor Derek's doing the exact same. Sorry, man, if I w tried to go over to the top row, we definitely somebody would be hurt. Anyway, West Falls Church, uh, Pastor Derek's passing some out too because West Falls Church, uh, the student ministries over there is sending a team here today, and you'll see them when you leave. They'll all be on the field. Just make sure you say, hey, how you doing? It's good. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how important it is to uh, minister to our teens and to pray for our teens with everything going on, so we really want to encourage you to do that. That and we're thrilled that um, they're actually setting a record today. That's their expectation because they signed teams up. They expect to have at least 100 teenagers here today participating in Ultimate Sunday. So that is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, give them a wave as you, as, as you walk by. All right. Speaking of breaking records, uh, two weeks ago, um, 
Ashley, our uh, Graceland uh, children's pastor, was up on stage. And what, this is what we talked about at the beginning of this series, Adulting, that churches that are spiritually adulting, they're spiritually healthy, always make children a priority. And so breaking records, I'd asked everybody to just pray. We have a lot of kids in this area, and uh, we want to make that a priority. We want to be a healthy church, want to make that a priority, want to pray. It says, hey, pray, pray that uh, our Graceland ministry would double. Well, somebody took me up on that, and you've been praying. We just set a record for babies in Graceland, both here and in West Falls, we had 20 babies, 20 babies here and in West Falls Church in Graceland. So thanks, everybody, uh, for praying about that. I want to say a huge thank you last week for the produce pack. So many of us, you guys are awesome. Uh, you really are. I love you guys because you just jumped in after it was a beautiful day outside. But we all jumped in and we packed a bunch of produce. I saw Arlington Food Assistance Center. They sent out their um, they sent out their newsletter just this past week, and so they were listing all the organizations and different churches that were helping to do food packs for them around. And I was reading through the list, and I just want to give you a scale. I'm just giving you this for scale reasons, not for bragging reasons. So, so cut me some slack just for scale scale reasons. So it was like this organization did a couple hundred pounds and this church did a couple hundred pounds and this church did a couple thousand pounds and then it was Grace Community Church did 11,000 pounds of produce both here and I think that we see some pictures, don't we? Yeah, so there's West Falls Church. They do everything the same over at West Falls Church and then there's a picture here of Arlington of what we were doing. So thank you so much. I think that is awesome. The produce pack. And I will say this, uh, our good friends over at West Falls Church want to remind us that they have plenty of parking over there. If you had a hard time finding a parking space today, just in case you had a difficult time finding it, they have oceans, oceans of parking over there right at the door. So, and they do everything that we do here. All right, a lot of people have asked me about Puerto Rico. I've gotten emails or people have stopped me and said, hey, John, what about Puerto Rico? What's going on? What are, what, what are, we, what are we doing to help? I want to read, many of you have heard of Arlington Now, right? You've heard of that um, media site, Arlington Now, right? They talk about all kinds of things going on in Arlington. Here's a quote. I want to read right from their Arlington Now um, post that they put. After filling eight trucks... With supplies in just two days, Arlington's Collection Point Grace Community Church is no longer taking donations. The efforts organizer, Mariana Vicens, announced the news in a Facebook, Facebook post on Sunday. Here she is now. Everybody, put your hands together. One and only Mariana. So we had a lot going on between Texas, Florida, and the produce pack, which we had lined up a long time ago. And so Mariana just said, hey, let's 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 do something. So like overnight. So tell us about it. I'll tell you a little bit about it. I might get emotional, so I'll just kind of keep it short. But um, as you can imagine, this week has been physically, emotionally overwhelming for many Puerto Ricans. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're experiencing a humanitarian crisis. People are dying. There's no food. There's a lot of things happening. And um, as we cope together, you know, we did this great event. Right now, there's so many events happening because we want to help Puerto Rico. Um, and um, there's many ways to do it. But right now, as, as we are adulting and we're coping and we're getting together as a community, I'm going to ask you to pray. Just pray as much as you can because my family needs it. My, my people need it. Um, and then um, we just need to move forward. This is a great opportunity to restart and move forward and um, please pray that's um, that's my my plea for you today and if there's a way that you want to help um, I can give you and, and guide you in the right direction um, because there's many ways that we can do it so um, in a nutshell pray uh, we need you 
Uh, Puerto Rico needs you. Uh, very so. good. So, uh, obviously, Mariana uh, is from Puerto Rico. Her family's there yep. uh, over at West Falls Church. Brenda, our volunteer uh, coordinator who's on staff at Grace, is also in Puerto Rico. I had the incredible privilege of marrying Brenda and Dave at Palmas del Mar in Puerto Rico. And it's, where, it's yeah. where Mariana's parents live, and it's where the eye of the hurricane was supposedly, I saw yeah. a news feed, was coming right across. So, anyway, let's take a moment and just say a prayer right now. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, be with those who are suffering so much in Puerto Rico, God. Uh, just comfort them in their need. Provide for them in their need, Lord. Be very present in their need. Lord, your word tells us you're close to the brokenhearted. Father, be very close to friends and family uh, who are there in Puerto Rico now and help them through this time of incredible crisis. In the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mariana, for all you did. It's awesome. Overnight, overnight, eight truckloads basically overnight. So that, that's, that's really cool. Okay. If you're a guest today, we are thrilled that you are here. We are a church for people who don't go to church. What does that mean? I'd be happy to explain it at Grayson five, which happens right over here in Arlington and in West Falls church. Same thing back, back, right there, over there. Okay. For you. All right, here we go. We're talking about adulting. Thank you, Ali, who read here in Georgia, who read at West Falls Church. We're in the third week of adulting. And what we said in James chapter one, James kicks us off right in the beginning. He tells us what the whole book's about. It's a really important book. He tells us what it's all about. It's all about becoming mature. It's all about being a spiritually mature adult, like growing and making your faith strong. And so he gives us in an intensely practical book, says, here's what it looks like to have strong faith. Here's what on the ground, so to speak, practically speaking, what it looks like to be a person whose faith is being adulted, right? So last, that was the first week. Last week we said, what happens is, is somebody who is entered into a relationship with Christ, somebody who is a Christian, they want to come under, we did this last week, remember, we want to come under the authority of God's word. Remember? So we talked about Homer Simpson. And so Homer Simpson was kind of over top of God's word, leafing through the Bible saying, I like this, I don't like this. It was cafeteria Christianity or cafeteria God leafing through, you know, and actually what happens is when you enter in this relationship with Christ, the word is over top of you leafing through your life saying, I like this, I don't like this, right? And so that's a big, that's a big, huge change. It's very, very different. But here's the question for today. What would socially be the danger of us being over top of the word and leafing through it saying, ah, I like this, but I don't like this. I'll take this, but I don't take it. What would be the danger socially if we began to look at the word that way? If we were over the word instead of the word being over us, what would happen? Well, James tells us here, which is fascinating, the first intensely practical thing that happens in our lives when we are under the authority of God's word is we create a new community of justice, a new community of mercy and of God's grace. This is practically what happens. So this is why we read James 2, 1 to 13, just a few moments ago. It talks about discriminating against people, right? We want to create this community of justice. Verse 4 says, you will not discriminate. Today, I'm going to talk about what actually motivates us, everybody. What is your motivating factor to not discriminate? What is it? Is it because you're a good person or, you know, you're an educated person? Or, of course, it's obvious to everybody we wouldn't discriminate. What is it? What is your motivating factor in your life? What do you think the motivating factor is, is in our world or for your neighbors to not discriminate? Well, James, James has his own answer that he takes on this. And he says the motivating factor is the Bible. And that's why he says... 
under the authority of God's word. And then what's the number one thing that begins to happen to you when you're under the authority of God's word? You don't discriminate. You, you create a new community of justice. So if you like to fill in the blanks on the back of your bulletin, the first thing to put is what's the motivating factor for James, at least for James, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. And it's socially dangerous, is what he's describing us to, that if we want to come out from underneath that authority, right, and be the authority over top of the Bible, and we say, pick this, don't pick this, don't pick, right? If we want to treat it that way, it's socially dangerous. You might, you might have never thought of that. You might have thought it was just an individual thing. You might have thought, well, well, that's my decision, man. That's what I want to do. But the issue that James is making for us is that in society, in community, that if we begin to pick and choose... To our own whims and likings, what begins to happen is communities of injustice. And this is what he's making here. So when we look, as we talked about last week, intently into God's word, we are compelled to create a new community of justice. Does this bear out historically? Have we, have we seen this happen over time? So in his book, Richard Wayne Wills on the civil rights movement says the very heart of the civil rights movement was the image of God from Genesis, right? From the first couple chapters of Genesis, all people have been created in the image of God. It's his very heart. It's the very heart of his words. And you think about that for just a second, because the Bible, God, and particularly the book of Genesis has taken a lot of heat over the years. And yet what we find is, is that we say it's the very heart of the movement that fought for civil rights. Do we think about that? Do we know that? Do our neighbors know that? That that's where it comes from? Like, hey, yeah, I don't like the Bible. I'm not into the Bible or anything like that. Oh, yeah, I'm all about civil rights. Where, what was the heart of it? Where did it come from? We see this reflected when Dr. Martin Luther King said this. Quote, you see the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it is expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they, substa- not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. The heart of the movement. Do we realize that? Do we think about that? So when we're thinking about, okay, I'm going to be over top of God's word and I'll make decisions, I'll leaf through it. We're putting that in jeopardy. When it's over top of us, leafing through our lives, we don't have that choice. And for James, he says, the, the, the first, the number one thing that he turns to right after he does this is a community of justice that does not discriminate. Now, he returns to this theme about the image of God. In James chapter 3, where he talks about the tongue, where we say a lot. You know, there's a lot of talk, right? There's a lot of talk. And we're going to get a lot. We're going to really focus on our tongue in a few weeks. But I thought I would just throw this in one here since because we're talking about the image of God in us. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made, how? What does he say? In God's likeness. So we go back to the book of Genesis, and we talk about the image of God in which everybody has dignity and everybody has self-worth. And what does that cause? Creates a community of 
justice. Now, this sentiment amongst a lot of people is not recognized. I recently read a quote. I could give you tons and tons and tons. I'll just give you just one. But a comedian, he's a British comedian named Stephen Fry, recently said that if God exists, then God is utterly evil, he's capricious, and he's a monster, right? So those sentiments are shared often. And it wasn't interesting that historians say, in addition to all that, Stephen Fry, God is also causing a movement of justice that has reached around the world globally and has attracted all kinds of attention from people, also with all of those things. So it's fighting against each other. What is the truth? All right. What motivates humanity to not discriminate? For James, it is the Word of God. In society today, we might say, well, look, you know, discrimination, isn't it obvious? Of course, everybody's created equal, right? Only people who are, you know, not educated don't realize that we shouldn't discriminate. Well, Aristotle was a pretty brilliant guy, a very smart guy, right? He believed that people were born, some people, some people were born to be slaves. So education always isn't the answer. And this is what James is after. It is the Word of God. Cornell University professor Brian Tierney wrote a book about the whole idea. This is, this is the title of it, the idea of natural rights, which is about that everybody has self-worth and dignity. Where did that idea come from? Because that idea, particularly in the West, is quite pervasive now. Everybody has rights. And he goes back through history and he traces it to Christian jurists in the Middle Ages based on the Bible who brought about that idea to pass. Do you realize that? That's where it's coming from. It's coming from what James is saying, who wrote it 2,000 years ago, that when you are in a relationship with Christ, when you're a follower of Christ, when you've experienced the second spiritual birth, you want to come under the authority of God's Word, that God's Word's leafing through your life. And then what happens, the number one practical thing that happens is you want to create a new community, a community of justice as you look intently into the Word of God. It is the motivation, right? Uh, Yale professor... Arthur Leff says this about our motivation for civil rights. Looking around the world, it appears that if all men are brothers, the ruling model is Cain and Abel. Not a good situation. Now, here we go. Neither reason, nor love, nor even terror seems to have worked to make us good. And worse than that, there is no reason why anything should. So what is he saying? What is the motivating factor? Is it education? Is it reason? Is it love? Is it terror? Is all these things? He's saying, no, none of this stuff is working. We're still having a problem. Stephen Hawking has recently spoken out about this. He spoke many years, and then he kind of updated his thoughts about it just recently, that what's motivating us? Well, for James, again, he's saying it's the Bible. It's come. So why would it be socially dangerous to say, hey, I'm over top of the Bible and I'm leafing through? It would be socially dangerous because it could lead to communities of Injustice, injustice. Now, Nietzsche, who was no fan of the Bible, everybody, he was no fan of Christianity or the Bible, did recognize later on in his life this, as Europe was moving away from the Bible, was moving, moving away, saying we don't accept the authority of the Bible, we're, not, we're getting away from Christian values, we want to move away. Even Nietzsche, smart as he was, recognized there was a problem. So I have a quote for you from Nietzsche. He says, he says this, when one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality out from under one's foot. 
Okay? This is what, so he, he was recognizing there's a problem when we, come, when we back away from the authority of God's word that it has an impact on our society. Now, James gives us something else. So the first thing is the Bible, but he also gives us something else in verse number four. He says this. He says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So we, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about this. We talked about in the introduction to this whole book of James. We said, you know, James draws more from the teachings of Jesus Christ than any other book in the New Testament. Right? He, particularly the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, but he's pulling, pulling, pulling constantly from Jesus. Well, he's his brother. So he pulls constantly from the teachings of Jesus more than anybody else. And so does Jesus ever talk about evil thoughts and where do those thoughts come from? Well, he does in Matthew 15. It's very interesting. Jesus says this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 15. So the second thing to write in, right? So it's the Bible, and the second thing is your, is your heart. This is what James says. So first is the Bible, and then the Bible kind of works its way down into our heart, right? And it's in our hearts, our hearts that need to be protected. What is your heart? Well, as the best we can, we, we can gather from, from the writings of Scripture, what the heart is, is it's where your desires, that spiritual part of you, where your desires dwell, where your thoughts dwell. It's your heart, right? The spiritual part of you where your desires and your thoughts dwell. And so we should, we should protect our hearts, we're told. We're now really great at monitoring our behavior in society. Right? We learn what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. And for those of us who want to like, you know, want to fit into certain categories, places, whatever, like, okay, I need to do this. Right? And if we don't want to stand out or we don't want to get in trouble or we don't want to go to jail because we're breaking the law, we learn to monitor our bit. But we're not really great at monitoring our hearts. So a lot of stuff can be going on in, in our hearts. And you see that because you've seen these, you've seen these studies before, these surveys done before. What would you do if you never got caught? Now, I could read a bunch of them to you, but as I started to research this a little bit, it depressed me a little bit. Actually, it scared me a little bit. What would you do if you never got caught? I mean, the things like Jesus is talking about in Matthew 15, they all come out. Well, I'd lie, I'd cheat. Well, everybody would cheat on their taxes if they would never get caught. That was almost 100%, right? I'd lie, I'd cheat, I'd steal, I'd murder. What? Lots of people said, if I knew I would never get caught, I would murder somebody. Kind of makes you nervous, you know, you're looking around the room. Who, who in this room maybe would do that? A tremendous amount of people, both men and women, said they would have an affair. Now, nobody in this room would do that. But, but a lot of people, if I never got caught. So what, what's happening? It's in the heart. The heart's the problem. So that's what Jesus says. This is exactly, we say, no, Jesus, it doesn't come from our hearts. I mean, it comes from our behaviors. We're great at monitoring our behaviors, but Jesus knows the problem really deep down, right? The words that come out of your mouth, it's coming from your heart. Eventually, your heart emerges is what Jesus Christ is saying. It emerges. You can't hold it back. Like we fight it for a long time, then eventually it comes out. You've seen that. You probably had said to yourself at some point, you know, when you, maybe you said something in the heat of the moment or whatever, right? You said, oh my gosh, I don't know where that came from, right? Or maybe you've heard somebody say that, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Well, Jesus says it comes from your heart. Or maybe you've done something or somebody you know has done something. You're like, where did that come from? Well, Jesus says it comes from the heart. Or how many times have somebody done something and you thought you knew them and you said, gosh, I thought I, I, thought I knew them. Right? This happens in marriages all the time. Gosh, I thought I really knew this person. All of a sudden, whammo, something happens. Well, it was all down there in the heart and eventually what's in the heart emerged and it came out. And this is what Jesus Christ is talking about here. So we have to monitor our hearts. The Bible tells us 
in Ezekiel that God wants to give us a new heart. This is what it says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. So he wants to work in our hearts. It's really important. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God wants to give us new hearts. He wants to change our hearts, right? If you went to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, look, you got a problem with your heart. Maybe you're not eating right and you're not exercising, okay? I said all these things to you. Okay, what, what do you think's the answer, you know, for all that? A lot of times we would, you know, maybe want to say, well, okay, eating right, exercising, you know, all the sweating and the time it takes to do that and all the discipline it takes to eat right. Could you just, could you just give me a pill instead? Like, is there a, is there a pill for it? Could I take a pill instead? And sometimes we do that spiritually. So we have, we have issues, and James is very practical, but we have issues, and this is what he's saying. We come along and says, okay, could we, just, could we have a little prayer? You know, could, could we just take a little prayer, and would that solve my issue? Or could we sing a song? We used to sing a song in church years ago. Um, what is, how did it go? Give me a new heart, O oh God. Make it ever new. I want it to be like you. We can't just sing a song or say a little prayer. What James is saying, James is a real practical book. He's like, you got to sweat. Hey, you got to sweat. Somebody told me years ago they were going to buy this uh, exercise machine. It looked really futuristic. It was an incredible-looking machine. It cost $10,000, so it should look incredible. And the, the caption to buy the machine, like the advertising said, you know, five minutes a day. I said, five minutes a day. Like, I don't know what that machine would do to you in five minutes, but whatever it do must have been pretty incredible. That's insane. It doesn't work. You can't. Get uncomfortable for five minutes a day and think you're going to get in great shape. When you walk around and you see people who have strong and healthy hearts, it's because they've made themselves what? What have they done? What have they done to themselves consistently, constantly for long amounts of time? They've done what? Exercise. They've sweated. They've made themselves uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Like, oh, can't breathe. You know, sweating. Oh, strain. Your muscles are hurting. Make yourself. And this is what James is talking about making yourselves uncomfortable. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, right? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. We're really good at monitoring our behavior. We're not so good at guarding our heart. What does a guard do? Well, back then, a guard would guard a city, right? He'd be at the gates of the city, and he would monitor everybody that's coming in the city. Like, oh, okay. Then he would say to some people, okay, yep, all right. Come right on in. And other people, oh, no, you can't come in the city, right? He would guard the city because certain people were viewed to be enemies, right? And it was a lot of hard work to be a guard, a lot of pressure to be a guard. But you had to be in uncomfortable situations because some people you had to say, hey, you're, you're an enemy. You can't come in this city. Right? That, was, that was the guard show. You have to do the same thing with your heart. Are you willing to do the same thing with your heart? Because it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to do. Um, think about this. If you're guarding your heart... Is there a time in your life, and maybe it could be even now, where you're bitter over something, you're hold on forgiveness, and you're kind of clinging to it? Have you ever had, like, an imaginary, heated, prolonged conversation all in your head with somebody? That ever happened? If you had, it could be you need to guard your heart a little bit better, right? Think about that, right? Guarding our hearts can be difficult. Have you ever celebrated somebody's failure like somebody fails and you're like oh your behavior says oh, i'm so sorry inside you're like yes right could be you need to guard your heart those things are uncomfortable you have to do uncomfortable things basically is what i'm saying to guard your heart 
All right? I know a bunch of guys, because guarding your heart, you have to watch stuff that's coming. That's what the guard does. Make sure something doesn't come in. In your heart, you have to watch you know, things that you're taking in, things you're thinking about, things you're talking about, things that you're watching, all those type of things. I know a lot of guys, they travel a lot, and uh, when they go to hotels, they'll call ahead and say, take the TV out of the room. Like, that's uncomfortable. Uh, why do you want me to take the TV out of the room? Just take the TV out of the room. That's uncomfortable. That's what it is to sweat. That's what it means to, to guard your heart, right? I, I know a lot, of, a lot of guys' groups, right? They'll hold each other accountable. They'll give each other a list of questions. Hey, ask me these questions. That's very uncomfortable. God, I don't want to do that. But that's how we guard our hearts. We hold ourselves accountable to other people. We do uncomfortable things to guard our hearts, to make sure content Things aren't coming into our lives. We think about it, what we talk about, we think about, we speak about. Psalm 51, David, famous psalm after his terrible, terrible uh, sin with Bathsheba, the affair that he had. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Well, how is God going to create in him a clean heart? Well, how did God do it? God sent Nathan the prophet to him in a very uncomfortable situation, didn't he? And Nathan tells the king that nobody messes with the king back then. The king has absolute authority. The king is over above everybody. Nobody tells the king the king is wrong. And so here comes Nathan. He tells the king this story. And then David is like, oh, that's terrible. And then Nathan says, you are the man. It's very uncomfortable. So how, how was God going to create in David this clean heart? Through a very uncomfortable situation. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make yourself uncomfortable so that you can guard and protect your heart? Because it's not about monitoring your behavior. What's happening in your heart is eventually going to come out, right? So it's the Bible and it's our heart, right? We see people walking around with physically strong hearts is because they've made themselves uncomfortable for long periods of time. Are we willing to do that on a spiritual level to guard our hearts? What else, finally, is going to motivate us to create this community? This community of justice and mercy, the Bible, our hearts, and then what gets in our hearts? Jesus Christ, as we enter into relationship with Christ, as we accept Christ as our Savior. Christ works in our heart. He gives us that new heart. And this is why James starts his whole book off this way, James 1.1. What does he remind us of? He reminds us of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean to remind us of Jesus Christ? Why is he doing that? Let's think for a second. We covered this a lot in the last series, but let me sum it up this way. He's talking about the story of Jesus. He's reminding those who are reading this letter of the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus isn't just inspiration. And it's just not information. It's actually transformation because there's a spiritual component to reminding ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done. So James starts his whole book, James 1.1. 1, 1. He says, hey, let me remind you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And in James 1, he's doing an overview of the whole book for us. He's like, let me tell you where this is going. And then in chapter 2, in chapter 2, which we just started today, he's like, okay, now we're going to reset and I'm going to get into all these things about your heart that need to be changed. And before I do that, I'm going to remind you of what in James 2.1. Again, he comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the Bible says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We need to remember the story of Christ and what Christ has done because it's not just inspiration. It's not just information. It's transformation. It is the power to get in our hearts and to change us when we keep coming back to that story. And a lot of times what we do with the Bible is we keep coming back to the rules and how I can modify my behavior with the rules. And James is saying, no, you must consistently come back to what we call the gospel. It's the summary of the entire Bible. It's one story about Jesus all over. 
And I need to remind you of that because that's the power that gets into your heart that sees true change. This is what he's saying. So he does it, James 1.1, 1, 1, and then James 2.1, before he starts the whole thing. And it's really, really, really powerful. I want to end with a, with a story. I've, I've, there's a, I've always loved reading about spiritual awakenings. Right? We've seen a number of them in America throughout history. You know, thinking about our teens today, I was talking to a group of our teens recently, and one of the things that they have to do in Arlington County Public Schools is they have to read a sermon written by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards was a part of two spiritual awakenings in America. And one of the things about spiritual awakenings, everybody, just, just so you know, is what so people enter into relationship with Christ, people come under the authority of God's Word. And you know what's interesting? A mark, a true mark of a spiritual awakening is, is that there's social change. Any genuine spiritual awakening isn't about what's happening in the walls of a community of people that get together. We call it a church. There is societal change. There's justice. Isn't that fascinating? Justice, justice is done. So I've always enjoyed the Welsh revival. Happened a number of years ago, and there's actually news paper coverage on the Welsh revival and how justice begins to break out all over the place and how people's lives were changed. And is it fascinating? One of the fascinating articles that you'll read is in this particular county, right, in Wales, where the revival was breaking out, they interviewed the police chief. And I'm like, what do you think about this revival? He's like, it's great. I heard that it's affected crime. He says, yes, there isn't any. This is in a newspaper article. There isn't any. Well, if there isn't any, what do you do? Well, we have 16 police officers. Well, what do they do? Well, we split them up into four quartets, and all they do is go around to the churches and they sing. This is in the news. This is in the news. Well, what I'm saying is, is when this happens, when you come back to the gospel story of Jesus Christ and it affects you, then it affects the community. It creates a new community, a community of justice, and everything changes. So we try to tell this story over and over. Well, in, in Wales, there is a... There's a city called Bed-Gellert. And some of you heard this story before. But the Prince of Wales, Prince Llewellyn, he had what he called his faithful hound, his dog. Loved that dog. Dog's name was Gellert. And the prince went out hunting one day, and for whatever reason, he didn't know, but Gellert didn't join in. And when the prince got back home, something shocking took place. He walked in to his little baby son's room. And he saw that his son's crib had been flipped over and it's obvious that a, an incredible fight had taken place in there. Something had gone on. And he turned around and he saw his dog, his faithful hound, Gellert, sitting there with blood all over him, all over his paw, all over his face. And immediately he knew what had taken place. His dog had attacked and killed his son. And the blood of his son was all over his dog, Gellert. So he immediately draws his sword, comes to the dog, and plunges it into the dog. Kills the dog. And as the dog is dying, with his last yelp, he hears a cry. He walks over to the crib that had been flipped upside down, and he pulls the crib away, and there is his son. And laying next to his son, who is fine, is a huge wolf who had come to kill his son and Gellert had actually saved his son. That's pretty moving. I don't even like dogs. <laughs> this is the story of Jesus Christ who has stepped in to save all of us.
right, who has shed his own blood. This dog had become the savior of the family. Jesus Christ has become the savior of the world. And James is saying, if you will remind yourself constantly of that, that powerful story, it's not just information, it's not just inspiration, it's transformation to our hearts. And it will create a new person and a new community for all of us. Well, I'm going to ask if uh, Christian uh, will come out and Chris is going to come out. They're going to lead us in a, in a closing song, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray. Uh, and I want to remind you, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you over here at Grace in Five. And I also want to remind you, as you're walking down the sidewalk and you see our teens, I can't emphasize this anymore. Look, our teens need our prayer all over this city, okay? As you walk by, maybe just whisper a prayer up to God and say, bless our teens. Bless them, okay? And if you want to enter into a relationship with Christ today, our prayer team is going to be right on that wall. They would love to pray with you about that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. What a powerful, powerful story of redemption. Lord, work it down into our hearts. We're not interested in behavioral modification. We're interested in heart transformation so that we could be new people creating a new community, a community of justice for you that we might be in alignment with you. God, I ask that you bless every single person here today. May your hand rest mightily upon us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.